You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Shuvah Zapoyskim. It's the week following Hanukkah, and many people, of course, uh, celebrate Hanukkah with great simcha, but don't necessarily take the messages, and as we say, to be kai with the oiris of Hanukkah and bring them into what is the continued winter. Um, many people find that they, especially as it gets colder, uh, what I call the frigid doldrums. Um, it's like, yes, we were there, but now I'm disillusioned. So I felt it was proper to turn to my good friend, um, Rabbi Vrach, of the Chabad Young Professionals here of Newark, uh, which Baruch Hashem, we're getting more and more. <laughs> and I've asked him to give a shear based, of course, on the Torah of, 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 of Rabbi Jarebbe, uh, Rabbi Minsky. I know that the uh, uh, I know that it's going to be something that is illuminating, to say the least. For, we're post Hanukkah. We know the uh, all the Yom Tevim. There's the time we have to take the idea of the Yom Tif and take it with us throughout the entire year. So let's jump right into it. In regards to Hanukkah, we find something interesting, and that is that it seems like that the main celebrations of Hanukkah are mostly focused on the miracle of the oil which therefore we light the Hanukkah candles for eight days with the oil. We eat donuts because they're fried in oil. We eat latkes because they're fried in oil. And there's not too much mention or focus as regards to the, the miracle of the war. The fact that the small little army, the Jews, the Maccabees, were victorious against the, the Greeks, which is a huge, mighty army. They had all the modern warfare of those days. So let's get a little deep dive into this. So this actually, this... Thing actually, let's go into the Talmud, the source of the Talmud, which we find the story of Hanukkah. And I quote, this is from the, the Gemara in Shabbos, Chaf Aleph Amid Beis. The Gemara says as follows, I'm, quote, I'm going to read and translate. My Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah? And uh, I'm going to take the approach of Rashi, which Rashi, Rashi says, Why was Hanukkah established? Based on which, what miracle happened that they decided to um, set up this holiday of Hanukkah? So the Gemara says, When the Greeks went into the Beis HaMikdash, they contaminated all the oil which was in the Beis HaMikdash. And afterwards, the, when the Hashmanoim, they went and they overpowered them, they were successful, they, they beat them. But they checked in the Beis HaMikdash, looking for oil, they couldn't find any oil. Only one little jug of oil, that was placed and it had a special seal of the Kohen Gadol. The issue was that that little jug of oil was only enough to light for one day. And it lit miraculously for eight days. Based on this occurrence, the Shana Acheres, the next year, the Chacham at the time, they established it. Established as Yamtiv to giving praise and thanks. So we see from this Gemara, it seems like that again the whole focus of the story is all about the oil. The, the war is mentioned very casually. There's not, not much focus, it doesn't mention about how many of the Greeks were versus the Hashmanai were. All it says that 
you know, the Greeks contaminated the oil when the Hasmonean powered over them, and then it goes straight into the oil, which is pretty interesting, and we have to understand why. So in order to understand this, let's go into understanding a little, let's ask a little question on the story of Hanukkah itself. Let's ask a question in regards to the Greeks. This is a question which was asked by the previous Chabad Rebbe, named the Rebbe Rayat, in his, in a discourse which he gave in the Seif Mamarim. And he says as follows, that in general, you know, I'll, I'll read his Lushen. It's not understood. In the whole, in regards to the Greeks overpowering the Jews, when they actually overpower the Jews, right? They took control of the base of Migdal, they took control of the capital of Yerushalayim. What do they do? All what they had to show for themselves, you know, all the, you know, normally when you take over a country, you know, so what's the first thing you're you're running to change or to take over? What do they run to do? They want to contaminate the oil of the Beis Hamikdash, which is very, very strange. Why? The Beis Hamikdash, because in the Beis Hamikdash, there was Hayuklei Kesef Vizov. Beis Hamikdash was loaded. There was gold. There was silver. And normally, I'm going to say the rest outside verbally. Um, normally, when someone takes over a country or a city, you capture it. The first thing you're gonna you're gonna go grab the big stuff, the important stuff. You're gonna grab the gold, the silver, you know, all the diamonds. You have to understand. Back, you, there's many nice shuls around the world, right? Imagine all the Jews only went to one place, so all their money only went to one place. You can imagine. Based on English, it was very, very wealthy place. Lots of gold and silver. Are the Greeks bored? Why are they looking after the oil? What did you lose? And not just that, they didn't even take they didn't even take the oil. They contaminated it. Think about the menorah. The menorah itself was a gorgeous piece, very unique. Very, you know, it was made with special crafts. You know, the Torah says exactly how it was made. Um, right, we know it was the Romans obviously took it as the arch of Titus indicates that that Vitzachin led to the actual plundering of the Kalim of the base of Mikdash. So we don't see that there was a plundering that occurred. Right, so the question is, so why do the Greeks not focus on, you know, why did they take the Monero itself? Forget about the, the oil, which they, they used to light the Monero. What were they thinking? So it's a very powerful question, which obviously means that there's, there's some deeper thing which is going on in the story of Hanukkah. And in order to get some understanding, we're going to move on to text three. We're going to move on to the Levush. The Levush... He lived in the 1500s. And this follows that you have to understand that Hanukkah, the story of Hanukkah was different than other troubles the Jewish people had throughout history. So let's focus in comparison, let's say, to Purim. So he says that, let's say by in the story of Purim, Haman. Haman, his interest was simply to kill the Jews. I didn't like Jews. It doesn't matter. They practice. They don't practice. They care they're Jewish. They don't care about their Jewish. They want a temple. They, they didn't have a temple at the time. I want to get rid of the Jews. That was his interest. That was his whole thing. On the contrary, on, by, on the other hand, by, by the, the Greeks, the Greeks, Antiochus, did not make decrees to kill the Jews, to destroy the Jews. 
he was okay. You want to live as regular citizens? That's fine. You, you can live as humans, as, as people. My issue is with you living as a Jew. That's my issue, as being Jewish, practicing your Jew, Judaism. And his whole point was he made decrees to destroy their religion. And that's the was the focus of the Greeks on Hanukkah. And that's the victory of the Yidden over Hanukkah that they were allowed to have um, practice freely. Maybe the, the concept of America started that. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, Rabbi Tremel, that the that he actually, you know, it's it's a nice counter to the Rayatz's point about what is what do Menatzchem do. The Lavush has a similar lotion. In other words, if you think about it, once the military might has been indicated that you can't win, what do I gain by killing you? Really, keeping you alive means you'll pay taxes. You'll your the human power of your contribution is important. But I've got to change you. And what and, and as the Lavush knew from the Terach of of, of the Arab. And the Muslim and other conquerors that he was familiar with, what do they do? They keep you alive, but they just make you change the focus of your dos. In this way, I can keep you alive. It's, it, you're going to pay the taxes, and we're going to use you in some way. Actually, we can actually see a, this point brought out in one of the Medrash in regarding Hanukkah as well. Um, the Medrash says an interesting thing, and that is that, and I read the text. That the Golos Yavon, what was the problem with the Greek? They darkened the eyes of the Jews with their decrees. The Greeks would tell the Jews, write on the horns of your ox, that you do not have a portion in the God of the Jews. Now let's, let's, be a little practical. Back then, people didn't have cars. Typically, everyone had a field, and everyone, you, you needed an ox to plow your field. If you were a rich man, you had a few oxen. You had a bigger ox. So everyone had an ox. So they told them, you can keep your ox. I'm not telling you I'm confiscating it from you. I'm going to steal it from you. No, you can keep it. You just have to write on your ox that you have no portion in the God of the Jews. That's anything I, I discussed this with uh, very different Jewish groups, not necessarily religious at all. And I tell them, imagine, I tell you, you can keep your car because you need to have a bumper sticker on your car saying, I have nothing to do with the God of the Jews. That, that really hits it home pretty hard. And any Jew, not just a bumper sticker, it has to be actually something on the front, like the, the hood ornament, that's what it's called. The hood ornament, like that's what, when we were growing up, that's what you do with the cars. Or, um, I, I would also add to that, you know, you say how the shore is like the car. We know that the Torah writes that if a person uh, steals a shore and is either slaughters it or sells it, even when you discover him, he can't just pay you once the value of the shore or twice. You have to pay five times. And of course, there's the famous Chazal that Rashi quotes because you know, we say that you were able to, that, uh, you owe it because you, because you owe it because you were able to just walk out with the shore instead of putting it on your back. But the simple shot is that it isn't enough to replace a shore because a shore was so significant 
that even if I give you the money, I've got to train it. Uh, it isn't just like the car that it works. It's an animal that gets used to your life and the way it's supposed to plow your field. That's why the, it wasn't just Amakas Ba'alma that you have to pay five times. It's for a farmer, for an agrarian, that the shore, it's, it's almost like he, he creates a connection to that shore that can't be replicated. That takes years, perhaps, to train a new one. So, right. and that's the reason why the tyrant feels that when you steal a shore, you have to pay five times because what would you stole from me? You're going to give me back the money? So I'll buy another shore. It's going to take me a whole bunch of planting seasons till that shore replaces it. So I'm just emphasizing again what you're saying, the chashibas of the shore. I want to focus on the text of the Alanis in prayer, which we all do in davening or in benching. And we'll see that this idea, the concept that the issue of the Greeks were specifically not against the Jew, but on Judaism, on, on Yiddishkeit, and their connection to Hashem, as we saw earlier in regard to what they had to write on the horns of the ox, is meduyik in the Lashon of Alanis. So the Lashon is as follows. And I'm going to read in Teich. We say, When the Greek wicked empires stood up to power, they stood against the, your nation, the Jewish people. To make you forget, I probably got to focus on the Cha. To make you forget your Torah. And then he says again, to make them go against, to push you away from your will, from your mitzvahs. Meaning their problem, their goal was to make you forget, not just from Torah Stam, but Torah Secha, the fact that it's Hashem's Torah. And also the problem was also not just to push you away from mitzvahs, but from Hashem's mitzvahs particularly. Now to bring this point out, I'm going to bring a quote from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which says as follows. And a little background to this. The Greeks weren't ordinary people. The Greeks were big philosophers. The Greeks were actually the, the first translation of the Torah was actually in, in Greek. It would have been a couple hundred years before through Talmud Amalek, which you got a 70s game. The Greeks knew about the Torah, and they knew it. It's very, very philosophical, um, very interesting, very smart. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read the quote from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It says as follows. The Greeks were not against the wisdom of the Torah. They were agreeing to accept the Torah as a beautiful, beautifully written book, complete book. Very deep philosophical opinion. But, there's a big but, it's man-made. There was some genius that wrote the Torah. Some genius wrote the Torah. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's very knowledgeable. But it's man-made. And therefore, the outcome of that, Vemela Efsher, it's possible. But other not just it's possible. On the contrary, Tzorich, you need to. You have to change it from time to time. You have to adapt to the modern era you have to adapt to the times 
you can't just keep it all ancient. You know, this was something a genius philosophy written, a, you know, a couple hundred, by then, let's say 1,500 years ago, from today, 3,000 years ago. And it's beautiful, and it's just so amazing. There's so many amazing things about it. But not everything is accurate. Sometimes there could be mistakes. It's possible, after all, it was written by a man. And you have to adapt to the times. Now he continues. And therefore, interestingly, the Greeks, in regards to the mitzvah, so in general, if the mitzvahs made sense, sure, why not? If it makes sense, logical, yeah, do the mitzvah, why not? But sometimes they even agreed to certain things that you don't understand. Chukim, which some mitzvahs you don't understand, they agreed to sometimes that you could do it. Why? Because that's also there's an explanation to it. Although we do not understand why you should do it, let's say kosher. We don't necessarily understand why you should do it. But because it's written in this book called the Torah, which was written obviously by a great genius, so obviously there's got to be a reason for kosher. We see that the Torah is so knowledgeable in so many different areas, we should rely on it too. And I'll just give us a quick example where we, we use this idea similar in, in our day-to-day lives. Um, we go to a doctor, or let's say a cybersecurity professional. There's certain things that we understand what they do. And it makes sense. We listen to them because they tell they do this, and it makes sense to us. But certain things they tell us to do, and we don't understand why. But because we know that this person is very good in that specific field, so I'll say, I'll listen to him because I know this guy knows what he's talking about. So similar to that, in general, there's certain things in the Torah that make sense. Now, sometimes the Torah says things that don't make sense or that I don't understand. But still, because it's written by, you know, it's written in the Torah, which is some genius book. So there, there is some reason that we should do it. But I just don't understand it because I recognize that there's a level of expertise I haven't yet achieved. And so that's, the, as you say, the marshal of whether it's a cybersecurity expert or a specialist in, in, in the medical field. So there is a time. It's just that I, I recognize that I haven't yet been able to get what that time is. And of course, that's really the approach of so many of the medieval abortion including you know, possibly the Rambam, that we have to find the timing of everything, that even chukim are not necessarily chukim be'etzim, they're just chukim beyond our ability to understand. But if someone gets through the level of wisdom, he will be able to get it. So, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> as you say, it's a, again, Rabbi Avram, I know you're, you're, you're building up a head of steam, but you know that you probably have to be masbri here for the people that are listening, because they are used to Megillus Antiochus and other sources that talk about the fact that there were these three mitzvahs that they weren't allowed to be Mekayim. We're going to get to that. Um, their issue is, I'm going to continue the, the quote from the Rebbe, their issue of the Greeks was, this that the Jews should do the mitzvahs as Kabbalah said, without understanding, just because that's what Hashem said. And with this, he explains why they were after the oil. 
Therefore, they were specifically after the oil because they said, because when it comes to the laws of pure and unpure, Tuma and Tana, there's absolutely no explanation. It doesn't make any sense. When you look at the oil, does it make any difference if I touched it or this guy touched it? It looks the same. You're going to take it to a lab. It's going to be the same results. There's no, there's absolutely no difference in face value. And therefore, they said that this whole concept of Tuma is nonsense. And therefore, they specifically contaminated the oil. And now we understand why they were specifically answering the original, one of the questions we had earlier. Why the Greeks didn't go after the gold and silver, rather they went after the oil. Because they were, they said, we were normal people. Very philosophical. What belongs to you belongs to you. What belongs to me belongs to me. But don't do things, these godly things, mystic things, which make no sense. And therefore, we're specifically going to contaminate the oil because this whole laws of purity and unpure absolutely make no, make no sense. And this is the, and the miracle of Hanukkah was Hashem showing that, no, there is things which are higher than understanding. There is things which are greater than, than you can understand, greater than you can achieve. And allowing the Yidin to be connected to the Yibishter, which is higher than understanding. And this is, what I would say, one of the, the messages of Hanukkah. It's, as a Chabad rabbi in, in Newark, you know, we, we meet all type, different types of people. And sometimes I get the question, Rabbi, you know, Judaism is so beautiful, many great things about it. But we're 21st century, you got to adapt a little bit, you know, you, gotta, you can't just stick to the same things of 3,000 years ago. You know, there's the world, there's the modern era, many things have changed. Many things in the world have changed in, in rights, etc. You, you know, you, you got to adapt. And this is the message of Hanukkah. No, the, the Yiddish guide is not a culture. It's not just about traditions. Yiddish guide is a godly thing. It's not about what you understand or don't understand. It's connected to the Yiddish which is greater than that all. And if a person takes the approach of everything that makes sense, then at first, they'll explain to you, okay, this take and that don't take. And then, and as the, what was in the times of the Greeks, they'll start off with one thing, and eventually, they're going to lead to more things. Then they'll stop you from doing that altogether. With other excuse, rational excuses, they'll, they'll come up, or things which don't make sense. Because this was our whole intention. Our whole intention was specifically to disconnect us from Yiddish guides. Now, I want to go to one more point. So what about the, the point about the Shabbos, Bila, and Chodesh? Yes, so the... So to address the question that we see that the Greeks made specific decrees against Shabbos, Chodesh, and Bismillah. And one can definitely so, make, a, again, just to play a, a Greek advocate here, uh, one could definitely make a case that both all the, those aren't necessarily a Chodesh. Right? Those aren't... Uh, there, there's elements of Chodesh that... But again... Part of what the Reb is saying is that unlike even Korbonos and the halachas of Korbonos, of Avodah Biyad or Pigel or Noiser, which one could also say has elements of Kaik, you could, they aren't, it's not as totally separate from Seichel as Hilchas Tumavitara. That, that's basically the word that the Reb is saying. And therefore, that's the thing that was the, uh, at least according to this, the Nusach and Megillus Tainus that's quoted in the Gemara and Shabbos, that's what's emphasized. That that's uh, because that was it would be that perspective. That's what they were the Iker trying to do. I, I get the vart. 
Um, but yet again, so you're going to have to try, I just want to try to explain to people uh, how these three, which have seichel, right? They all have an element of seichel, Shabbos for sure. Mila also, as we've seen, the Rambam and others have, have described. Uh, a person fears that the Rambam, he can understand and even Chodesh, you can understand how it's important to have a sense of the, the celestial spheres. So how would you answer that based according to the Rebbe's words? Two points. Number one, the Greeks started off as a philosophical approach that everything has to make sense and first cut out the things that don't make sense. But that was only the way they started. Taking this approach, you can continue. Okay. Well, I agree for this one day, and then eventually you could come to know, I think that this is also nonsense, and we should drop this too. So it's, it started off allowing them to do some of it, but taking this approach and cutting out the Eibishter could lead you to more. And more specifically, looking into the tactics of the Greeks, they saw that, you know, they wanted to get rid of Yiddishkeit by the Jewish people. And they started with contaminating the oil, and then they wanted to go, what's the basics, the strong connection, strong, strongholds of the Yidin? So the bris milah is the, the bond that we have, which is higher than, what does it connect, the concept that the Yid is connected with Hashem, higher than Seichel, from a baby, even before you have any understanding, connected to God. This is already the argument of Yitzchak and, and, and Yishmael. Yishmael's old point is, you know what, let, do a bris milah, do it at 13. You should make the choice that you could connect to God. But this whole Brismilla, the whole concept of Brismilla is to connect to Hashem. And that way we're against. There's no, you have to disconnect from Hashem. Rishchidish, destroying Rishchidish is destroying the whole Jewish calendar. Again, knocking out Yiddishkeit. And Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos is a, one of the basics in, in Tehidah Mitzvah. And again, look, them looking at looking at Tehidah Mitzvah and trying to destroy Yiddishkeit, they felt that these are the three we should focus on to... So it, so it basically morphed, in other words, even though originally the Rebbe said that they would allow them to have a, a lifestyle that was da- uh, downloading into themselves the essential parts, or at least some of the essential parts of Tiger Mitzvahs, he said eventually they morphed into uh, wanting to eliminate Yiddishkeit. But you have to modernize Yiddishkeit, they'll start with one thing and then only two more things. It's the same the same concept. Same so, idea. So even though what's behind it, although they might pick as their first target the thing that you are also going to admit is completely beyond any sort of capacity to explain intellectually, what they're really after is jettisoning everything that's part of Yiddishkeit. Yeah, well, the truth, they're against everything in Yiddishkeit, which has to do with God. Right. So if you Jews are continuing to do something because of Hashem, that's an issue. If you're doing it only because of health reasons or whoa, or whatever logical reason you come up with, that they're okay with. The Macedonians and the Seleucids. In other words, Alexander himself was, was we, we, we started counting our years to his reign. Obviously, his connection to Shimon Atzadik, like the Gemara and Yuma says, but you're saying actually that the uh, that the the Malchus Yovan 
that the Alanism is talking about is the next iteration of that Malchus Yavon, not the Malchus Yavon of the enlightened one that Alexander had. Another point in regards to bringing this idea home of the fact that the, the war of the Greeks was specifically against the connection of a yid to the Ebeshter. Why this was emphasized specifically, why was this idea brought out in the miracle of the Menedah specifically, out of everything? So let's look a little into the idea of the Menedah. I'm going to quote you a Gemara in Shabbos of Bezimethes. The Gemara says, in regards to the Menedah, I'm going to quote, The Menedah is a testimony to everyone, to all mankind, that Hashem rests amongst the Yidin. Right, that's the fact. That's what right. the Gemara says. Right. Chazal Darshan from an aspect of the Pasuk, because it says, So there's no reason for the Torah to explain, yes, outside the Torah makes sense, but why does, when the Torah describes when you like the Menorah, why does the Torah insert that word Eidus? So Chazal Darshan, that the, pus, the word Eidus is there, to tell us about the purpose of the Menorah. So, now the Chabad Rebbe gives a reasoning why specifically the Shechin is resting in the Menorah. I said a very interesting part. He says, because within this physical world, within this materialistic world, light is one of the most spiritual creations. It's not materialistic. You, you can't touch it. Uh, you can't feel it. Technically, you know it's there. You, you see it's uh, somewhat. And therefore, because it's a little mystic meaning, a, a little beyond something that we can grasp, therefore, light is a keli, is a vessel for the shechina, for the ebishter, which is also the same idea, something which is greater than, our, than ourselves. Great our understanding and something else that we can't touch, we can't feel. That's why the Menedah is a testimony that Shekhinah rests upon the Yidah. The Shekhinah generally is by the Menedah. Understanding that point, now let's relate this to Hanukkah. Therefore, in regards to Hanukkah, because Hanukkah, the whole point of Hanukkah was to show that Yidin have a Shaykhist to Hashem, to the Ebishter, which is higher, greater than this world, greater than our understanding. Where was it brought out? It was brought out in a miracle, which is greater than our understanding, and specifically in the Menorah, which the Menorah is, is where Hashem rests, because the Menorah is, is the, the concept of light, that, which is spiritual, which is also a concept which is beyond understanding. And therefore, the miracle of Hanukkah, to prove, to bring the point home, where is there a testimony that Hashem rests amongst the Yidin? We have a Shaykh Slavishir greater than this world, specifically in the Menorah. So, so even though the, let's say, in the Zman, that Pasuk that I indicated was in the Torah itself, we know that the Torah itself says that uh, the Akadosh Baruch Hu is Asher uh, that the Oroin represents where God connects. But there is a sense of the edus of the Shekhinah is in the Menorah. Avada the Oroid is the most significant spot. That's clearly the place where, you know, 
that you can only be nichnas the kohen gadol hamechon b'shona, but the noira represents the edus of that hashros hashchina. So you know, it's it's not. I I think you have to uh, say that it's not that, that and especially by yeshevi there was no alright, but probably that mokka was still the place that the kohen gadol was nichnas. Right, so if if, if, one, if one would want to point to the place in the world where you would add the the connection for the Rebbeinu and the belt, you'd probably still say the Bokum of the Kodesh Hakdoshim. But the Menorah, which was right outside, was the proof of of, of that connection. No. Yes, yes. So you have to. It's it's a testimony. It's a testimony that Hashem is residing within the Yid. and therefore the miracle of Hanukkah with Joseph. The idea to show to everyone, to show the same point, to show to the whole world that you didn't have a shaykhis with the Ibishta, which is greater than the world, was connected with the Maneda. Which that's the point of the Maneda. The Maneda is a testimony for the world. That's why it says interesting regarding the the windows of the Vesa Migdash. So the windows of the Vesa Migdash were different than the windows everywhere else. Normally, as back then there was the windows were pretty thick walls. So on the outside, it was narrow, and as it goes inside, as it comes inwards, it would widen in order to, to bring in the light from outside in. In the Mesamigdash, it was the opposite. In the inside, it was narrower, and as it got to the outer, outer section of the wall, it got wider, uh, representing the idea that from the Mesamigdash, we're shining light into the whole world. But technically, the light of the Mesamigdash came from the Veneta. So... The Veneta, which is representing that Hashem rests among us, the they're from the miracle of Hanukkah, the whole point of Hanukkah, that Hashem is, that Yidna Vashaykh is to the Abish there, was with the Veneta. So, to sum up, especially to give us the message through this, this winter as, as it creeps upon us and as we are machazak ourselves against the Kapur, so what would you say is the, so one has to take this Yisoyed, correct, and Embrace it. Knowing that Yiddishkeit is not about what I understand or don't understand. The Yiddishkeit is not about customs or rituals <laughs> or traditions. Rather, that Yiddishkeit is something which connects us with the Hebrew which is greater than all. And so, really, one could actually say that it's, it's, it's from here you could actually explain the other Gemara. The Gemara says that that by the Gemara compares Esther Kayos Hashachar. So the Gemara says Mayos Hashachar Soif Halaylo Af Purim Soif Kalanisim. So you would think, well, what do you mean Purim Soif Kalanisim? We have the Nisim, the Gemara's Tainus, especially Hanukkah, Darvos. It's Soif Kalanisim, meaning that this isn't about the Ness. In other words, in terms of Nisim. So you go till Purim. Hanukkah isn't about so much the the way you're explaining that, oh, this is another one of the Nisim. It's really the Kloyas of the fact that we have Shaykhs with the Rabbi Here, that's why it's Saif Kalanisim. Because in, Akinab, if you like, in the chart of miracles, yeah, this is Purim is the ultimate in terms of showing you the Rabbi Nishayim. But Hanukkah, even though you'd say, well, how, was, how did that happen? You can't explain it. But it's not there necessarily, according to the way you're, you're saying, based on the Rebbe, to emphasize the Nes Shabbat. 
it's emphasizing the fact that we have this yachas and that the yisoid of our whole connection to the mitzvahs, despite perhaps the chiyuv, according to the Rambam and others, to find tamim, ultimately, it's, it's, as you said, by Prismil, it's based on something stronger than that. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.